0: The reading is taken from Luke, chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There, in front of him, was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man he healed him and sent him on his way then he asked them if one of you has a child or an ox who falls into a well on the sabbath day will you not immediately pull it, pull it out and they had nothing to say when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table he told them this parable when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted then jesus said to his host when you give a lunch or dinner do not invite your friends your brothers or sisters your relatives or your rich neighbors if you do they may invite you back and so you will be repaid but when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous.
1: Right, good morning, everyone. Let's pray as we have a look at God's word together. Our Father, um, I pray that as we look at your son Jesus here, that his heart for the lost and the broken would be beautiful to us. Um, I pray that it would shape and affect our own hearts for lost and broken people, that we would embrace people like Christ does. Amen. Um, Let me tell you uh, about a friend of mine uh, called uh, Nick Pollock. Um, I was uh, friends with Nick when I was at university. We were at the same church. Uh, He wasn't a student. Um, He was uh, in his late 20s. Uh, He was a, a teacher. He had a young family. Um, but what was really interesting about Nick was that he was, he was really, really wonderful at gathering and welcoming all sorts of different people. He wasn't a particularly um, uh, extroverted guy, but he was really good at getting together all sorts of different types of people. So every week after church, uh, he'd open up his home, and the people that he gathered there would be fascinating Um, Let me give you one example, I remember being once in his living room, and we're all sitting around and we've got plates of lunch on our laps, and as I looked around the room, opposite me was a uh, a Turkish couple, they weren't members of the church. Um, They'd come to this country, uh, they were in massive financial difficulty, they didn't really speak much English, uh, and no other English people in the whole town really ever spoke to them. Somehow Nick had got to know them and welcomed them into his home. Now... Next to them was a, a friend of mine um, uh, from university. He was a member of the church, you know, heavily involved in the, in the university, Christian union, that sort of thing. Um, and then next to him, sitting next to me on the big leather sofa, uh, was a man called Tim, a homeless man. Uh, and I remember looking at him and seeing his sort of leathery, weathered face and scabs on his cheek. I remember the smell. Um, but I also remember the look in his eyes at having been welcomed into a home. And he was very used to being overlooked and ignored, being welcomed into a home. Now, on, on my other side, there was a young mum from the church with her toddler who was kind of climbing over everyone's legs. Beyond that was an older couple, decades older than anyone else in the room. This this real mixture of people all in the same room together. And there were some really awkward moments um, because the Turkish people couldn't speak much English, and so we didn't really know what they were saying sometimes. And occasionally, Tim, the homeless guy, would say something weird about aliens. It's um, some awkward moments, but also there was a lot of laughter as we ate together and laughed together. And in the midst of all of this, I remember looking at my friend Nick and thinking, wow, (laughs) um, this is beautiful. And and, and what you're doing is like Jesus. There is something Jesus-like about the way you're embracing people, people that nobody else tends to speak to. Now, in our passage um, that we're looking at this morning, uh, it comes sandwiched between two pictures that Jesus gives us of himself. Hopefully this is going to come up on the screen. Uh, So um, uh, from chapter 13, Jesus gives us the picture of himself wanting to gather people like a hen wants to gather her chicks. That comes just before our passage. After our passage in the story we're going to look at next week, um, the, the God character, the Jesus character, is a host who wants to welcome in uh, outcasts. So two pictures we have here of Jesus wanting to welcome people, particularly wanting to welcome outcasts, people that other people tend to ignore. Now, now right in the middle of those two pictures we get of Jesus welcoming and gathering, um, here in our passage, Jesus is at a dinner party with a bunch of people who are really not like that. Um, A bunch of Pharisees, the religious rulers, and, and they didn't see God. They didn't picture God as one who welcomes the broken. They were much more obsessed with their own status, their own religious rule keeping, as we're going to see. And at this dinner party, we just get this clash, this clash of two ways of thinking, two attitudes to the lost and the broken. Jesus is... And theirs. And, and it's super awkward. I don't know if you've ever been at an awkward dinner party. This is a seriously awkward dinner party because Jesus exposes and challenges all the people around this table. And as we look at this clash, I think the aim is that we would see the beauty of Jesus' approach. We would see the beauty of Jesus' heart for the downcast. And that as we see that, that would affect the way that we behave. The beauty of Jesus' attitude for the outcast would affect the way that we behave. Now, I know that we're in lockdown at the moment, so there's not going to be much chance for the, the kind of applications that, that, that Jesus recommends towards the end of this uh, section, sort of social gatherings. But, but, but the social outworking of this starts in our hearts. The heart needs to change first. And so that work can start for each one of us this morning. Just in terms of how the passage fits together, Jesus is going to give us uh, an example and then two instructions. The example is that Jesus is going to see a person, not a problem. And then two instructions, don't chase status and socialize outside of your circles. That's where we're going. First thing then is this example we get from Jesus, seeing a person and not just a problem. Check out verses 1-6 with me. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So I want you to see, imagine that we're there. Imagine that here we are uh, at the house of this Pharisee. We're sitting around the table at this dinner party. Um, uh, all the important people in their fine clothes all sitting around us. And Jesus is there. And partway through the meal, a man with abnormal swelling is brought out. <laughs> Now, I don't think he's a guest um, at this party because of something Jesus says later in the passage. I think that he's brought out to kind of test Jesus. And and as you look at him, his body's swollen um, in ways that are kind of uncomfortable to look at. And as Jesus' eyes fall on this man, the room gets really tense. All the religious leaders lean in to watch, what's Jesus going to do now? Because um, up to this point, um, through Luke, Jesus keeps on clashing with the religious leaders as to what you're allowed to do on a Sabbath. And one of those questions is, are you allowed to heal people on the Sabbath? And so they're wanting to see what's Jesus going to do here? Let me just kind of explain that for a minute. Why do they care so much about this? Um, Well, in the Old Testament, God had commanded people not to work on the Sabbath. He actually hadn't said anything about healing people. Um, But because of that rule, the rabbis, the rabbinic tradition, had had created a whole bunch of other rules to try and stop you breaking that first rule, um, not to work on the Sabbath. And and, and the the, the, uh, Pharisees, here they want to see, is Jesus going to keep all our extra rules? Is Jesus going to kind of maintain this status quo? And the problem with all these extra rules, though, is that they completely miss God's heart. They completely miss God's heart behind the original commandment. Like Elsewhere, when Jesus is is, is debating with uh, the Pharisees about the Sabbath, Mark 2, verse 27, he just reminds them, guys, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was God's heart for people. And these guys have just lost sight of that. They're obsessed with these these religious rules, so obsessed that as they look at this man with his abnormal swelling, they're not seeing a man that's suffering. They're not seeing a a member of God's family to be loved and embraced. They're seeing a theological conundrum, a problem. What's Jesus going to do? Well, Verse four, Jesus takes hold of him and heals him um, very publicly. And then look at what he says in verse five. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? If your kid fell into a well, would you get them out? Yes, obviously. I mean, imagine not doing that. Imagine that like, your son falls into a well and you say, ah, oh, it's a Sunday. This is a kind of theological problem here. Uh, I tell you what, you keep, you, keep, you keep kicking those legs and I'll come back tomorrow. And if you're still head still above water, I'll be the first person to get you out. Of course you wouldn't do that. If your kid falls in a well, you get them out straight away. Now, Jesus is saying, when Jesus looks at this man, he's saying, it is like my son has fallen into a well. Of course I'm going to get him out. Of course I'm going to help as Jesus looks at this man, he doesn't see kind of a, a theological problem to do with all these religious rules. He sees it like a son, like a person who needs to be helped. You see that the Pharisees, they want Jesus to be the guy who sees someone in a well and says, oh, no, 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 not on a Sunday. That's the kind of picture they have of God and all these rule keeping and status quo. But Jesus comes and shows, no, God's not like that. Jesus sees this man, sees this man as a person a person to be helped, not just a problem. And when you see the person, not just a problem, helping is the obvious thing to do. Now, I've got to say that as I read these verses, I find them really, really challenging because when I see people in need, it is so much easier just to think of them as a problem than as a person. Let me tell you what I mean. There's a guy um, who stands at the end of my road at the end of each month Um, uh, begging. Now, I've chatted to him a few times. We've been for chips and stuff. So I I know his situation, but he's an alcoholic. And when his benefits run out, he begs in order to kind of feed his addiction. Now, when I see him and I'm walking towards him, it is so much easier for me just to think of him as a problem than as a person. Right, If I think, oh, for goodness sake, his welfare benefits have run out and he just wants to feed his addiction, this is an example of uh, the welfare state enabling unhelpful behavior. This is a, a problem for society. This is a problem for the welfare state. It's not my problem. When I see him as a problem, it's easy to walk past. But if I see him as a person, if I think, man, how cold must he be standing there all day? If I think... Man, how depressing must it be to have hundreds of people walk past you and they don't even acknowledge your existence? If I start seeing him as a person, it's much harder just to walk on by. Jesus here shows us that God sees the person and welcomes and embraces. That's the example that Jesus gives us here and is so different to the Pharisees' way of thinking. So if that's the example, then we get two instructions. Uh, The first instruction is going to be, don't chase status. So there we are. We're back at the party. We're sitting around the table. Um, There's a massive awkward silence after Jesus has just kind of rebuked them all um, by healing this guy. Now, if that was me, I would leave at that point. Okay, I've been invited to the house. I've uh, rebuked you all. I'll go home now but Jesus doesn't go he stays there and kind of makes things a bit more awkward uh, by telling them off again and what he notices as he looks around he notices that the people are all jostling to try and get the places of honor so check it out in verse, uh, uh, verse seven with me. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited... Take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted now, um, uh, I was reading this week, apparently the way that these dinners used to work is that they would usually be in a sort of a, 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 a the, the table set out in kind of a shape, a uh, U shape. And the host would sit right in the middle. And the seats closest to the host um, would be the, the honored seats. The closer you are to the middle, um, the more social respect and honor and status you get. So basically to these people, being close to be, those seats um, meant other people looking at you and going... Oh wow, he's doing well, or oh wow, she's doing well. That's what these seats meant. I was trying to think of an equivalent today, and I thought maybe this is a slightly lame example, but selfies posted on social media. You know, the carefully curated lifestyle that's designed to be put up there so that other people look at it and think, oh wow, you're doing well. It's it's that feeling that other people seeing and thinking, wow, your lifestyle's great. That's what these seats represented to people. And they were grasping after it. They were grabbing after it. And Jesus saw this attitude, this this kind of, this me first attitude. I'm going to get that for myself. I'm going to get what makes me feel good and important. And I don't care about the other people here. That me first attitude. I'm going to do what makes me feel important. Now, even though we can't go out to social situations, that, that same heart attitude, that infects us everywhere, doesn't it? That infects us at home. That infects our marriages, that infects us at work, it infects us at church. That me first, I'm going to do what makes me feel important, kind of screw everyone else. Well, Jesus tells this parable uh, that's designed to say, don't do that. (laughs) Don't chase status like that. Now in this parable, you can imagine the situation. It's basically, it says, imagine you go to a wedding and you go to the reception afterwards and you get in the room, you can't see any seats. You look up and you see the high table. You see the, uh, the places of honor. And you think, you know, if I get on that high table, I'm going to look like one of the most important people in the room. So what do you do? You head up and you plonk yourself down right there on the high table for everyone to see. What's going to happen? Well, sooner or later, the host is going to come over, tap you on the shoulder and say, yeah, that's Nana's seat. And then what's going to happen? You have to stand up and now everyone's looking at you and you've got to walk down and go and find one of the the humble seats. Jesus uses that picture um, to say, look, don't grasp after status like that or the host might humble you. Take the humble seats and leave it up to the host to honor you. Now, obviously, right, Jesus is not just talking about social situations here. He's talking about a fundamental principle that God has put into this creation. And it's right there in verse 11. Please look at verse 11 with me. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the way that God has set up the world, true honor doesn't come from trying to grab it and get it for yourself. It comes from humbling yourself and serving other people and leaving it to God to honor you, leaving that in his hands. Now, this works out at, at, at different levels, but there's no better example of this than the man that's speaking. Okay? Think, about, think about Jesus for a moment. Most famous person in history, the most influential, the most powerful figure in human history, called the King of Kings, called the Lord of Lords, who came from an eternal throne of glory. And what did he do? Did he grasp after status symbols? When he was born in a shed, he gathered no money, as far as we can tell, no home, no fine clothes. If Jesus had sort of taken a selfie on an average day, it wouldn't have been a beautifully, carefully curated lifestyle that other people go, oh, wow, I want that. He probably would have been hanging out with lepers. Jesus, he didn't exalt himself. He humbled himself and just loved and served other people. And because of that, Bible says that God gives him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He left the the, the honoring of himself, that's in God's hands, and just got on loving and serving other people. So Jesus would say to us here in this story, don't grasp after status, leave that in God's hands, let God deal with your sense of honor. You crack on humbling yourself and loving other people. Now what What's this got to do with our attitude to outcasts? Well, I think, I think it goes like this. If you're seeking status, that keeps you from thinking about other people and loving other people. Just imagine the situation for me, okay? Imagine lockdown ends, and uh, you're at a, at a work function or, or a social function, a party, and you walk into the room. Now, you're not going to be thinking... Kind of jesus-like thoughts you're not going to be thinking okay who are the lonely people in this room how can i make sure that they're having a good time who are the people in this room that no one else is talking to how can i go to them how can i make sure you're not going to be thinking that if instead you're just thinking about your own status if instead you're thinking how do i look how do i come across am i coming across as interesting as funny, am I being seen talking to the important people? See if if, if you're seeking if we're seeking status like that, then I'm not gonna be thinking about anybody else, let alone the outcast, let alone the downcast. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone at a social gathering and you get the sense they're just looking over your shoulder for, for if there's anybody else more important to talk to. It's, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's, it's an ugliness to that attitude. That, that attitude that, that, that's grasping status but doesn't see, doesn't care about the person in front of them. Well, Jesus is showing us here a way that is so much more beautiful than that. that you forget status, you leave that to God, you humble yourself and crack on loving and serving other people. The attitude that would say, no, other people take the seats of honor. I want you to have them. So that's the first instruction then that Jesus gives. Don't grasp status. The second one, uh, socialize outside your own circles. Uh, check this out in verse uh, in verse 12. As if as if things haven't been awkward enough, Jesus now turns to the host and, uh, and and criticizes him for who he invites to his parties. So check it out in verse 12. Jesus said to his host, "When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, or your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame." the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection um, of the righteous. There's a couple of really interesting things here, right? Um, the, the first one is there's loads of bits in the Gospels where Jesus tells us to give money to the poor. We're kind of used to that idea, give money to the poor. But he, this isn't, that's not what he's saying here. What's he telling us to give? Have a look down. He's talking about socializing, spending time with, inviting into your home. Outcasts, socialized with outcasts, Jesus is saying here. In some ways, much more challenging than just give your money. Now, the second interesting thing is, do you see the motivation he gives? Why? Why should we do this? Well, in verse 14, it's it's not that we'll get any repayment here in this life. It's repayment eternally. He's not saying, look, if you do this, it will work out better for you in this life. No, he's telling people here to do something that makes no sense in this life. There'll be no repayment for you in the here and now. This only makes sense in light of eternity. You see, like we know this, don't we? There's some people that you invite them for dinner and it's rewarding. It's rewarding because they might invite you back to theirs or it might just be that you really enjoy their company. It's rewarding to have them. And I, Jesus isn't isn't giving a blanket prohibition on ever spending time with people we like. There's lots of other bits of the Bible that recommend that we um, have dinner, particularly people from church, but that, that, that's okay. But if we're only ever motivated to socialize with people because it's rewarding now, then we are missing something huge about Jesus and about Jesus's heart. I, again, this is, I find this really challenging because um, for many of us, we, we think of serving God's um, treasure in heaven as what we do at church or maybe what we do in our discipleship groups. But we see our social life, we see our homes That's where I go to retreat. That's where I go to retreat from spiritual life. But Jesus here, he seems to see our homes as the heart of our spiritual lives, the place where we love other people like him. Now, we've all got different living situations, and obviously we need to take that into account. But can I ask, do you see your social life as a way of serving the lost and the broken? do you see your home and your social life as an area where you live for eternal rewards by welcoming the lost and the broken? Jesus lived that way. And it's beautiful. Socializing. With people outside your circle, socializing with the outcasts. Now, I, I, I kind of want to give us a reality check for a moment because I know this sounds crazy. <laughs> Culturally, this is weird. Inviting out the socially outcast people into your house, that sounds nuts to us. Um, and there are a million reasons that jump into our heads not to do this, it is radical. But I remember remember my friend from the beginning, Nick. I used to have these conversations with him, and I used to pose to him some of these objections. And the conversations would run a bit uh, along these lines. I'd say to Nick, um, when you welcome these people into your house, are you not worried? Like, are you not worried that it's going to be really awkward? Nick would say, "Um, yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is going to be awkward but that's not going to kill me. <laughs> I said, okay, I suppose that's true. Um, but but like, what about the homeless guy? Are you not worried? Are you not worried about what he might do? Are you not worried that he might steal from you? And it would say, you know, of course, I'm, I'm not stupid about it. Like, uh, I w- wouldn't invite him in if he was drunk or if I thought it was dangerous. I got to know him first by hanging out on the street. But at the end of the day, yeah, he might steal from me. That's not going to kill me either. Could say, look, I would rather love people like Jesus and risk being stolen from than not love people like Jesus and hold on to all my stuff and all my comfort. I'm thinking, wow. In those kind of conversations, thinking, my goodness, why am I so obsessed with comfort? Why am I so obsessed with protecting my stuff? It's, it's said to, if I said to Nick, look, how have you got here? How have you got to the point where you're, so, you're happy to do this? Do you know what Nick would say? Nick would say, look, it, it's not me. It doesn't come from me. It's Jesus's heart for the lost. It is the way that he's embraced me, the way that he embraces outcasts. That is what changes my heart to do the same thing. And as I reflect on that, that gives me hope. <laughs> that gives me hope that it really is possible to become like this. It really is by God's grace possible that we would love people the way Jesus tells us to here. And just for a moment, I'd love us to just spend a minute imagining. Just imagine if as a church, we all did this. Like imagine if we we allowed Jesus's love for downcast people to genuinely affect the way that we act. In the world. Imagine if 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 we started praying, look, God, please show me the lonely, broken people in my neighborhoods. Imagine if we all did that. How many lonely people might be loved? Imagine if as lockdown ends and we're allowed to start having people from church over and socializing with people from church. Imagine if as we did that, we were then able to include some lonely people from our neighborhoods. Imagine if, 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 if we started befriending the people that beg in our neighborhoods. I know you can't do that with everyone, but the people that we regularly walk past, that we see regularly, imagine if we, all of us as a church, we started doing things like taking them for coffee, having meals with them and chatting with them, maybe even one day, welcoming them with other people from church into our homes. Imagine how beautiful that would be. Imagine what that would look like to a watching world, how that would show Christ's love for the lost and broken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your, your love, your embrace for the lost and broken is beautiful to us. It is magnificent. And we admit that it is so much more beautiful than our natural attitudes. We ask, Lord, that today you would start to uh, change our hearts I pray that in the power of your spirit, your love for the lost and the broken would shape and change us so that the way we socialize would be transformed. We ask in your name and for your glory. Amen.